Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Risk Cheese Radio Podcast, your home for horological hot takes, taboo topics, and often unpopular watch opinions. As always, I'm your host, and with me is my buddy Schmidt. Schmidt, what's going on, buddy? Not a whole lot, my friend. Just uh, back from another business trip, recording a pod episode late at night, as per usual these days. But uh, mm-hmm. excited to be here with you, my friend. How about yourself? How are things? You know, I am looking forward to this. For me, is is the equivalent of the week before Christmas vacation. We have okay. what's known as aeration, which is basically they're gonna spruce up the place at my job and we're not going to be there for three days so three days in the summer is like a huge deal so this is like a you know i gotta i gotta plan these three days out like the last three days of my life you know (laughs) yeah man i mean that's a that's a prime time time with the fam and that's uh that's prime time doing things not work related so do you have any special plans uh you know obviously i had a little overnight booked out in montauk Wife got a new job. Obviously, her one training day that she has to be there, same day. No way. Yep. So we had to move that. <laughs> because, of course. Absolutely, right? Because reasons. Yes, because of reasons. So right now, not too much. Uh, I would love to get a round of golf, and I have not golfed in so long. But, uh, yeah, definitely looking forward to hanging out with the kiddos and uh, maybe even seeing my family. <laughs> Novel concept. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. You got anything big coming up? Uh no, man. Nothing uh nothing crazy. Um this next week I'll be on the road again, so traveling uh to and from as per usual. That's been uh trying to get everything last minute done before the uh, the new baby comes toward the end of the mu- the end of the year. So yeah, just as much travel as I can fit in. Work life's okay and family's good, so you know, the usual No complaints. No complaints. Good, good. Okay, let's get on to the usual new releases. I don't know if you saw this one. This one really grabbed me. The purple Tag Heuer Monaco. I know we yeah, we, we, ta- we yeah, discussed the Monaco already about how much we like. You know, it's a, it's an odd square chronograph, square watch. And then it comes out in this purple with black subdials. And let me tell you, the contrast with the white is actually quite nice. I am very much feeling this watch. No, I like this watch a lot myself. And and we've talked about how we feel about vintage tag, um, especially some old classic Hoyer models. You know, we talked about the Carreros on a couple episodes ago. The Monaco for sure has, has come across our, our pod before. But this one is is gorgeous, man. It's uh like I it just I just think purple rain every time I look at this watch. <laughs> You know, it's got a, you know, that dark purple Fume dial gets kind of a dark black color out towards the periphery of the dial. It's really, really stunning. And the Monaco is such an iconic watch, you know, yeah. the, the world's first square water resistant automatic chronograph in the world. Very cool piece. So I'm sad that in typical tag fashion, as is the case these days, um, they're doing it in a small limited edition production. Mm-hmm. So the average rest of us that love this watch would love to add it to our collection are just out of luck. So there you go. But uh, another uh, $10,000 or so tag, that's uh, going to be a great hit for them. And only 500 people are going to get it. So there you go. What I'm hoping worldwide. is worldwide. Well, yeah, what, world allocation. Yeah. What I'm hoping is that they are teasing us with these. They're dropping all these cool limiteds, and then maybe they'll give us just like your plain old silver, black, blue, white. 
you know, but like in, in nice packages, not the, not the jumbo versions or anything. I'm hoping because, you know, even the other day I listened to uh, Mike Stock that was on with our buddy Matt McDee over at Spirit of Time, and they had a pretty long discussion about 90s Tag Heuer and how they yeah. were like almost like what Omega to Rolex is today. They were like the 1A to Rolex back then as far as yeah. popularity is concerned. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, they, and, they were immensely popular. For yeah, sure. and the, there's a ton of kind of really cool niche timepieces in that era that go forgotten and are still very good value propositions. And I'm hoping that maybe tag will start to evolve into that direction again, where they're they're trying to become that force, and and maybe they're starting with these limiteds and they'll work their way forward. I I don't know if I believe that, but fingers are crossed. I I really want yeah. them to do that. I mean, we spoke about this at length so many times. I really would yeah. like to see them kind of come out of the ashes. Yeah, I mean, again, you know, right? Or where my sentiments fall for this? I mean, I'm the same way. Um, we talked about this with the Carrera episode. I. I want this to be a normal production. I know we'll never get the crazy colorways in normal production, but that's right. fine. Just give us a silver, give us a black, give us a blue, and just make them normal and make them in the classic heritage size. That's all we want. That's all we're asking for. It's not a big one. And I guarantee you, you will increase your sales because more collectors will want to get turned onto the brand outside of your other fringe stuff that you make. Yeah, I think most people are at least tag Hoyer curious. Like, I know, yeah. I know they get enough flack about different things, but I think enough people are curious about the brand that if there was a home run model a la Black Bay for Tudor, that they would draw enough people over there. Yeah, for sure. Did you, did you know one of the, one of the highest selling watches for all of Tag, what it is? Lay it on me. It's the Connected. Really? <laughs> the con I, I found this out recently. The connected watch is actually constantly in their top five of all bestsellers across the across the lineup. Especially the Super Mario. I'm just <laughs> I am I, I was kind of like shocked. I was like I was like, really? You guys sell that many of them? Like there's that many connected tags out there? That is a surprise. Apparently there is. Wow. All right. Well, to our next one, obviously I talk plenty about Seiko on here, but a brand very close, but not quite. Citizen dropped a little heat. I know you covered a similar version of this watch in a previous episode when we were talking about affordable divers. This yep. is the titanium version of this uh, mechanical diver. And it goes with that whole story. They found an old watch. It washed up on the beach. And they're like, we're going to recreate this. It's titanium. It's got a Miyoto variant, but it's one of the, it's their own caliber. 41 mils, 12.3 thick. A little under 1,000 on a bracelet. 7.95 on a strap. Kind of high for a citizen, but this thing looks pretty fire. Yeah, I like it. I like it a lot. I mean, again, we talked about the the, the less expensive version. It has kind of the, the two-tone colorway and steel and, and a plated gold. Yeah. Um, but it's it's hard not to like that, especially because it's titanium. I mean, it is technically an in-house movement. It's a great diver. It's, it's a heritage model. Um, I think it looks pretty sick. You got a bracelet option, and if I'm not mistaken, you've got kind of like a tropic-y or yes. waffle rubber strap version. So there's a couple flavors there. But... I think it's cool. I said it was cool last time. I still stick by that. So very cool watch to finally see start hitting the the stores. Yeah. 
and they've been dropping some fire recently too. That that Night Diver sort of release. That thing. yeah, yeah, I'm the still Fugu. looking at it. I'm the still Fugu, looking man. at it. <laughs> Probably the coolest drop I've seen recently, and this one looks so good. Baltic dropped this a very yes. limited edition chronograph, 300 pieces. So good. Yes, yes, and it's in part with a racing company or something along those lines i i, I didn't look at it too much but i looked yeah, at the watch a, plenty yeah it's a come it's a company called peter auto. peter auto yes i didn't really research exactly too much about what they do but all you need to know is it's a three watch collaboration with this brand so uh it's a very expensive baltic um typically baltic has been known for making very inexpensive watches but in this packaging, you are getting actually three timepieces. Um, you have here the Heritage kind of chrono. I believe, if, if I'm not mix, mistaken, it's a manual wind as well, um, which is fantastic. It is very of the 70s. Yes. But in my, in my opinion, it to me does not really feel derivative. Like, I like a lot of the design cues. I think that they're... They're riffing on a lot of uh, on a lot of chronograph drivers watches yes. from that era, but there's nothing to me that I'm like, oh, this looks like a Daytona or this looks like a Zenith. I, I really truly believe this is kind of its own design language, and I like that a lot. So and a colorway, yeah. Two straps, you get sort of a flat link bracelet, polished outside, brushed inside. Very, very interesting subdials. You get some orange, some yellow, orange second hand, which I love. The big uh, yes. chrono seconds hand. Yes, I love the Ultraman, and I love that that this has it also. I like that the only index that's a numeral is twelve, and the only thing on the yep. dial is Baltic. That's it. So no chronograph, no automatic, no manual, just yeah. Baltic. This thing is just. A, a racing inspired chronograph through and through and it looks like it wears beautifully 39 and a half millimeters 13.5 tall not horrible for a chronograph and it's got a Salita SW510 manual one 63 hour reserve so plenty to like here um and, and you know and another company that's been dropping a lot of really nice hits lately even going back to their their first releases the the Batty Scaff I, I like those a lot mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but just they went on to a buy compacts. They've been putting out the. They put out that dual crown recently, and then yeah, this. And this thing is micro rotor that, that they did a few of uh, a few months ago yeah. or, or a year ago or so. Yeah, and then this. This is just a home run. I mean, I hope I hope they make sort of a non-limited release of this. Maybe just again plain old black, blue, white, whatever. And and again, the other thing too that we didn't six hundred bucks. <laughs> the other thing that we didn't talk about too is like it comes with two pocket watches. Like that's that is yeah. cool. Yes, this is an in, not an inexpensive Baltic. Um, I think if it was just the watch itself, then it would certainly be a lot more affordable, as is the case normally with Baltic. But the fact that you get two pocket watches that are very like rally inspired, they're basically the type of watches that you would have mounted onto cars during track times, like when you're racing, which is very cool. And it comes in a nice, unique collector's box and everything. It's a very cool package. Um, I think this is really a uh, a job well done, certainly by by Baltic. Um, I'm I'm really curious and I'm really excited now to see what they're going to keep coming up with. 
because I will be honest and say this, there has not been a single Baltic that I would not own. Wow, that's a bold statement. There's not. I mean, I, I own a Bathyscaph. I've had basically the first ever um, run when they did their first kind of Kickstarter campaign yep. or whatever crowd, crowdfunding uh, application they used back then. But I had this, the first production, though, like some of the first deliveries to come to the U.S., uh, the, the pre-production the models. I have the blue. Okay. Uh, one of the pre-production models. And really, really great timepiece, honestly. I mean, the size is great. A little bit smaller for me for a diver, but I really do like it. The bezel action is insanely good. Um, watch accuracies. You know, nothing to write home about, but I've never had an issue with accuracy. I, it always performs really, really well. Um, but it's not regulated or chronometer spec or anything yeah, like of that. Course. But, you know, everything that they have ever produced is really their own language and design, which I appreciate. And to me, the price points have always been extremely competitive and extremely affordable. So... You guys are on the fence about getting a Baltic. Just go get one. These guys know what the hell they're doing. Very good. Next item of business here. Uh, quick thanks to everybody. Smash through that 30K follow mark. So big thank you to all of you for your support in that. Uh, as yeah, my man. usual way of giving back, I'm going to do a giveaway. Uh, what I was thinking was, since it's been sort of plastered all over the place recently, I like to give away things and I, I'm the same way with gifts in my personal life, because once you become an adult, you can pretty much buy most things you want. So when I ask for a gift, I usually ask for something I don't want to spend my own money on. Okay. So Smart I move. try, yeah, I try to do the same when I'm thinking of gifts for people, whether it be like my brother or my friends, I'm like, well, they could buy whatever the hell they want, but let me think of something that they would want, but they're like, ah, do I really want to part with my own money for this? So in that vein, um, I'm going to give away one of those Arabic dial Seiko fives that you've been seeing ah, all over the place yes. that my homie watches the espionage sort of popularized, yeah, yeah. right? That to me is a watch. Yeah. Do I want one? Yes. Do I want to spend my own 130, whatever dollars on it? Not really. Perfect. So I'm going to give away one of those, uh, I'll drop up the post soon. It's a, the 42 millimeter version. I, personally kind of like the 34 millimeter version but it limits you on because it has the integrated bracelet it limits you on strap choices it also sure. um i'm not gonna lie to you probably 90 something percent of my followers are men so 34 is not good for all of them even though it's better for the smaller wristed people i don't know but i'm gonna go with the 42 it's a little more of a all-around good size better for straps etc cetera, etc cetera. so Arabic Dial Seiko SNK P21 coming at you soon. In other news, uh, last item of business here with uh, Real Men. First of all, I'm blown away by the amount of straps that have moved. <laughs> I really like. I think strap habit is too, for sure. He is. Because he even posted the other day, he's like, I can't believe I'm about to write this, but 20 millimeters are out again. <laughs> So if you're hoping for a 20 millimeter strap, you are going to wait one more time. He is going to restock. I talked to no him. No way. He's going to restock one more time. What a legend. 20s a legend. and 22s. He still has 18, 19, 21. Yeah. I think yeah, he still yeah. has the 22, but they're running low. Yeah. Um, okay. But it's going over kind of 
better than we could have imagined. Uh, I think both of us were kind of touch and go on it. We were just going to say, hey, well, you know what? We're going to put them out there, see what happens. And if they tank, so be it. You know, we'll, we'll get stuck with a bunch of pink straps. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's, it's gone over great. You know, my, my initial goal was to just beat last year's 6,100. And I was, I was nervous because I didn't have a donation watch lined up yet. Last year, I got that Oris, which was amazing. Yeah. And, you know, it's hard to follow up a good first act, right? There usually are not many good sequels, but definitely not better than the original. Um, Empire Strikes Back, notwithstanding. <laughs> but, um, you know, usually it's hard to follow up a good first act. It's your second year doing it. It's kind of like, oh, this again. But, yeah, right, right. now we're, we're crushing it. And, uh, you know, at first, like I said, I was just trying to be 61. And then I was like, you know, I think 10 might be in range. I'm not gonna lie to you. I might be in range for 15 plus at this point, which is absolutely insane, and I'm extremely that proud is of amazing. Everyone, that is amazing. Not just patting myself on the back here, but everybody for helping out. Well, no, I mean, you know, awesome. I will say this. You know, you and Strap Habit came up with this collaboration to do this, but it's our listeners, it's your followers, it's the people that have been out there sharing the message, sending them to their friends. You know, pushing this forward that has got guys to go out and say, you know what. 25 bucks, I'm willing to part for that for a good cause. Not to mention, I get something cool out of it, like an awesome strap. So, so many times we, you know, people ask for donations, they ask for monetary things, and you're happy to do it, but there's really, you never see the end of like where your money goes. Yes. Right. In this way, it's, hey, I can buy something, benefit a great organization, benefit a great cause, you know, do something great, but I get to actually have something that I can wear at home with pride. When people ask me about it, it's, hey, it's a story that I can also share. And I think that's the, un, the unspoken thing that we haven't talked about. I wear my pink strap all the time. Everyone always asks me what it's for and why I'm wearing a pink strap. And every single time we get to bring up the fact that we have this conversation and what we do with this, with this stuff and the thing, you know, what you're spearheading. That's more awareness. That's just a byproduct. You know, which I think is fantastic. So, you know, good job to all you guys that are out there doing this. You know, again, $25 is not a small amount of money. It's not a big amount of money. But, you know, bro and I certainly do appreciate it. This is this is always bro's project. I'm kind of helping out share the message when I can. But uh, this is his baby. And uh, and I know he's he's extremely humbled by this. So this is awesome. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited. And it's crazy. Even people there are sales being made that are sort of like ancillary like for example my buddy luke who was on the week you weren't here with my other buddy brian yeah he wore his to work he works at a pretty big corporation in manhattan his senior vice president stopped him and says where did you get that strap and obviously he got to do the whole song and dance for him and everything he's like where do i get one so now he he actually has the shun button like i do he's got one on his now so like it's just a like a crazy that's kind so of like, funny spider web of, of all these yeah. people who got involved so it's really pretty cool that's amazing good for you man that's that's amazing honestly and and little surprise it appears i'm not counting my chickens before they hatch but it appears that the good folks over at nomos might be coming around on a deep pink 38 might 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 i'm not gonna not gonna slam dunk that one yet but that would be tremendous that would be that would be huge that would be clutch. Right. I think that's the pick watch of the year. I think I would go with that. Yeah, I, I think that would be sick. 
Although someone put one of these on the mission to Venus and it looked sick. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's kind of sure. like pink on pink on pink, but it let me tell you, it was good. Hey, you know, when you have something pink, hey, you gotta go for it. Okay, a uh, little news before we head into topic. I think it's sort of been on everybody's tongue, and we'll just touch on it for the sake of touching on it. Uh, big surprise, Jack Forrester, and now we learn John Buse are both leaving Hodinkee. Yeah. Kind of nuts. I mean, it's it's more so, I'm, I mean, I'm not surprised in the, in, the, uh, in the concept of people moving around business to business. I mean, it, it is what it is, but just... This is sort of like the old guard at Hodinkee, and yeah. it reminds me of when I got into the hobby is more what it is. It's very nostalgic for me. You know, I used to watch a lot of Jack Forrester videos. He was like the super interesting kind of all-encompassing know-it-all, you know what I mean? He was like the dude who taught he, he what the complications me, were. <laughs> he was kind of like the dad. Yes, Hudinke, that's exactly right? what like, I'm He was like at. the professor or the dad of, of Hodinkee, and... And I remember when he started, he came in as a as senior editor in chief. I'm like, who is this guy? Where is he coming from? What is he going to do to Houdinki? And he brought this extremely refreshing perspective, albeit a very technical perspective, yes. right? Very thorough and and very, as I said, uh, um, professorial that way. But an amazing person. Uh, had such an incredible contribution to 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 Houdinki over the years. So I personally, just like you, am saddened to see him go. Um, I know John Buse the same type of thing. He was very passionate um, about Seiko, Grand Seiko. He did a lot of great articles as well. He did. I remember back in the day, the the what was it, the three for three? Yes. Uh, when he was part of that group as well. So a lot of great projects. So um, all I can say is, wish you guys the best. I mean. It looks like you landed on your feet. I think, yeah, you know, Jack's gonna be great at Watchbox. I, I can't imagine what the first Jack and Tim video is gonna be like because the technical <laughs> knowledge, like off the charts, like, and, at, and at such, exploding, and such different like styles yes. of of presentation. And you know, Jack's very methodical. Tim is kind of just like doesn't take a breath, and he's got his Oakleys on his head, and Jack's wearing his you know sweater vests and bow ties. So yep, it'll be. Bow tie. It'll be an interesting, uh, an interesting mix for sure. But uh, but let me ask you, since you always uh, you always kind of bring up the stuff, um, what do you think that this means for the the future of Houdinki? You know, I was thinking about this, and I I think they still have some some thoroughbreds in the stable. But you know, I think a lot of people are wondering: Are there more dominoes to fall? Perhaps. Yeah. I don't that's, know. That's but... what that's what I'm that's what I'm. But then who do you who do you replace these people with? I mean, a lot of them are icons, a lot of them are staples, specifically at Hodinki. Man, I know I go to Hodinki for certain people only, right? Like certain people's work, I go specifically for. Well, you you've associated the brand that is Hodinki with these respective yes, you know. And some of them, you know, I've had the privilege of getting to know personally, obviously by a DM because we were under a pandemic for two years, but. You know, I'm, I feel almost a connection with these people. So I go to specifically look at their work. If they are no longer there, I I don't know what's going on. I mean, I guess they're going to have to either introduce some new faces or push some some of the sort of fringe people up and make them the new feature. I don't know. I mean, I guess we're going to see. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know, man. I, I 
like I said, I wish everybody the best. And I know people have to make career decisions and, and look out for their best livelihoods and things like that. But um, I just feel like within the last, let's say, two years, we've had a lot of people systematically leave Houdinki. And I will go out there and, and, and you know take this one on the chin. I, I don't think it's good. I think something's going on that is causing people to leave. And I don't know what that is. I'm not going to even pretend to know what that is. But this many people don't start leaving over time unless there is a fundamental issue. I mean, there was a big change in ownership, no? Certainly with that. And then, of course, you know, you had um, you had Ben step away. Right. And then he kind of recycled back. That, to me, was the first real red flag. And then all of a sudden, I start going through the editor page at Houdinki about the staff, and I don't recognize any names on there. Yeah. And, you know, the few guys that I that I did see still there, you know, the the Jacks, the, the Coles, I mean, you started to see less and less features, less and less articles, less and less content. So, um I don't know exactly what that means, but for me and and kind of the uh, the writing on the wall, I think some things are going down at Houdinki, and it'll be very interesting to see what the future of that will mean for that respective editorial, because they have lost a lot of good people in a very short time. Yeah, like I don't know if we're about to meet the next wave of great, you know, horological editorial staff or what, but. I think we're all kind of uh, on edge waiting to find out. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and a lot of these guys are moving on to brands. They're moving on to other things. So um, as far as I've seen, but uh, I, I think uh, there's, I think there's more dominoes to fall. Well, we'll certainly I'm, see. I'm going to, I'm going to call it. I'm going to call it. I'm going to, there's some interesting stuff that's happening in the industry right now. So I'm, I'm curious to see what big changes will come next because I don't think we're done. All right, right here, August 20th, because we're after midnight. August 20th, Schmidt says, dominoes are falling. We'll uh, mark that one down on the calendar. To main topic, today we're talking a little economics here on the show. <laughs> uh, this is a topic I think it's been sort of in everybody's mind since, I guess, the the recent months where we've been getting a lot of talk about recessions and inflation and things like that. And obviously the first things to get cut are often luxury goods. Yep. Right. Luxury goods and kind of uh, speculative investments. Okay. Right. So that's why we got a lot of those uh, stories about crypto bros liquidating their Rolexes and things like that. So we're kind of getting a lot of those, that jargon around economic downturn recession, economic uncertainty, and sort of in that face, I think if you've been paying attention, we've seen some of these secondary prices falling. Yeah. Now, I know you and I, before the show, we did a little a little research because we wanted to validate that. We don't want to just go shooting off into the abyss here without a proof. But... <laughs> <laughs> um, 
you know, a lot of these household names as far as secondary market darlings, because you're certainly not getting them retail. A lot of these household names have started to come down, some of which in a big way. And I yeah. think we looked at those specifically, not that those are watches that you or I lost after necessarily, or that we could afford even, but if those are coming down, those are like the blue chip stocks, right? If those yeah. are coming down, yeah. everything it's, else is either due to tumble or is already going to take a tumble and it'll probably tumble at a worse percentage than they will. Yeah, exactly. I mean, this is this, these are some extremely desirable models. Uh, probably many of you who are listening to this right now will probably have an idea of what we might be covering here. But like, just like bro said, if this is an indication of what's to come, and these are already seeing significant market changes. Hold on to your butts. Yeah, we might see some really dramatic price action in the next few months because this only started happening a few months ago. I mean, yeah. earlier around the change of the year, we were seeing probably the peak price of secondary market pieces. 100%. 100%. But now, Certainly the end of Q1 going yes. into Q2, right? You know, you had February, you had March, April time. We saw extremely high prices for watches. Right. And just to sort of reinforce that, we'll give you what we considered some of the the pantheon of secondary market watches here, right? So we looked up the new Submariner and it's down. And these keep in mind, these are average price. Chrono 24. So that means these are selling higher and lower than the, the price listed, but this is where the average price falls. Was going around 18 down to 16. Panda Daytona, right, the, the darling of the Rolex collection, was up around 50, now down around 39,000. 39,000. The next three, keep in mind, are all steel, all in blue, because that's the most popular combination. Royal Oak, down from around 110 to 83,000. Jesus. Patek 5711, 182 down to 143. Wow. Vacheron Overseas 71 down to 44. Okay, so that those <sighs> to me are like your your market indicators, right? Your Amazon, yeah. your Tesla. Yeah, yeah. I mean, absolutely. Right? Absolutely. Especially because these were the most, these are the highest, these are the most inflated these prices have ever been. I mean, a hundred and eighty-two thousand dollars for a fifty-seven eleven. Now, I again, I get it. It's discontinued. It was already hard to get. It was one of the upper echelons of Patek collectability. I get that, but almost two hundred thousand dollars for a watch that didn't even hack the movement. No quick set date. You know, I mean, crazy <laughs> stuff like that. Like, I mean, come on, crazy, crazy, crazy. Um, man. And then what's the new price now? What's uh what's the average new price? 143. So let's say forty thousand dollars in loss. Yeah. Give or take. Right. If you bought the top. If you bought the top forty thousand dollar wash. <sighs> Man. But that's, that's sort uh, of that's sort of the game you knew you were getting into though when you go play in the secondary market, no? Yeah, I mean but again, you know, this is the this is the the I, I feel bad that this yeah, is happening. Of course. But I also don't because for me, part of the problem was all of these guys who invested in crypto who didn't really know much about watches, but we're gonna start investing 
their money into watches. They're the ones that created these prices. They're the ones that constantly kept flipping and and pushing retailers to 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 sell these watches at at exorbitant amounts, exorbitant prices, and they drove them. They they powered the machine. The investment buyer, the speculative buyer. Yes, yes. Not really the watch bro. Like not no, really no, no, no. the WIS or or anybody that is truly passionate about collecting watches. Somebody who saw this as a way to diversify their portfolio. That's who is taking a loss on this. And you know what? It sucks that it's going to affect the rest of us, but it needs to happen. This yeah. hot take, it, it has to happen. We were due for a correction, certainly. You know, I mean, my God, we, the, these watches are just astronomically expensive. They're too high. They're too high. I mean, hey, I, the pastel blue oyster perpetual was going for God don't knows even, what, right? Don't even give me. <laughs> I didn't look that one up, oh, and I, I don't want to look it up. But that just I, popped it, in my head. Yeah, <laughs> it's. Uh, my gosh, doesn't even have a date. <laughs> Uh, but that's not uh, necessarily what the core of this episode is about. That's sort of, sort of just the foundation for this episode. Um, what I was thinking more was in light of all of that, if you had to pick what are maybe some sexy value buys you might see on the horizon, right? If we're going to have a, a market free fall overall. So I know I, I have a few, some of them are a little more generic. Some of them are specific. I know you probably have a few, but what do you think? What do you? What would you be uh, maybe rubbing a couple of nickels together for? You know, I think uh, you know if these are kind of the indications that the market's going to take a massive swing. I think where you're going to start to see a lot of the prices come down, specifically on the secondary market, which is where they need to come down anyway. Um, I would really like to pick up a panorama. Ooh. I think uh, a Panerai, and I've talked about this before. Yeah. On the episode several times. I love the design. It's a great I love the it's aesthetic. Submersible, yeah. It, it, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Submersible. It's just one of those watches that it's not like anything else. Nope. I, I, you know, I'm a big proponent of design language. I want original design. And for me, if I'm going to go out there and get a Panerai, I really don't want to buy one for 10,000 US. It's just, it's a dive watch. It's like, really to me, it's not worth it. Because at $10,000, I'd be buying another Omega. That's just, that's just me. And if I could get a nice little panty, I think that that would be pretty cool. That would be a pretty pimp watch to actually dive in. Yeah, I mean, the thing's awesome, you know. Which uh, which rendition? Uh, I, I'm looking up the exact uh, the exact reference, but the one that I really have liked, I don't know the exact number off the top of my head, so I'm gonna look it up real quick. But it's the Panerai Submersible. It's the 42. Oh, That's cool. the size that I also like because I've tried it on. I I tried it on in a in the. Uh, I was visiting Canada in 2019. I tried it on the in the boutique in Toronto, and I was like, "This is this is it." Um, but it's a 42 millimeter Panerai submersible, and it has the light gray dial with the dark blue bezel. Okay, and it comes on a rubber strap, 
trying to find out which model it might be. Who knows if it's even still available. But something along those lines would be what I want. But uh, don't know if they still make that particular configuration, looks like, on the website. But their website is kind of confusing. So they give you kind of an idea here. Um, this range, this collection ranges anywhere from about 8,900 if it's a non-ceramic bezel to about 98 if it is ceramic. But there's even some that kind of hit the top end at uh, at 10 uh, for different versions. But uh, one of the ones that I kind of see here that I would actually wear as well, it's a black dial with a blue bezel. It's the, um, the submersible Azuro. It's a 42 millimeter. It's the PAM, P-A-M-01209. It's a 9,800 US. Yeah, and obviously we're, we're talking used or secondary market prices because the retail prices are not going to come down they're actually probably going to go up thanks to inflation yep but what you can Absolutely. actually buy them for whether it be secondary use whatever or maybe we even see possibly maybe the return of the discount in tough times i don't know i you know i really don't think that'll ever happen to be honest with you just because it's just crazy so to much... think three three years ago you you could yeah, you could it, easily grab ten percent. It's uh, yeah, those those days are very, very, very long gone. Now, will there will there be retailers and brands out there that still do it? Sure, but I think on on a lot of watches, you know, specifically, you know, all day long. Five years ago, you can get fifteen percent, ten percent off an Omega all day long. Those days are gone. Now, unless you know a friend of a friend that you know is personal friends with the owner of a store, then maybe you can squeeze out something like that as a personal favor. Okay, that is not impossible that that still happens. But for the average client, one, I've heard from all my friends in the industry that people just don't even ask anymore. Wow, they just they just know the price is gonna be what it is, and they just buy it. I mean, and that's. That's in part to kind of what we're talking about with the inflated prices. You know, for a 5711, like the asking price is now 182. Yeah. That's just it. You're not going to get it for 140, right? Like, you know, if if you're selling this watch, that that is what it is. And you either have the money to get it or you don't. So, most people don't even haggle, they don't even negotiate, they don't do anything because it, the price is just what it's going to be. It's uh it's everything, but even look at the car industry. Yep. You can't do it there either. And for so many years, that was where you really cut your teeth in trying to beat the dealership, you know, and trying to beat the, the point of sale. Yeah, it's funny. I sit out there and negotiate and fight and all that stuff. And that that doesn't even happen anymore. You're you're lucky enough if they can even get you a car. Yeah, I uh I got my lease probably peak pandemic. And they are knocking down my door, calling me every day, trying every to get day. me to get me out of this lease because I got obviously a great deal on it because nobody was buying anything. And yeah. then right after that, there was a shortage on cars and chips and things. So now yep. they're like, oh, my God, we're just trying to get used. My, you know, they're just trying to get people out of their the good. Leases yeah, so they have a, they have an inventory to sell again, you know? Yeah. So it's, it's definitely crazy. Um, and kind of along the same vein, probably one of the wildest stories I heard as far as watches go. And I think this was kind of a, a top signal, if you will, for me, was somebody I was talking to in my DMs 
told me that a very popular reseller would not take their Rolex Explorer because they had too many in their inventory. I have heard the same rumblings. To me, um, that's that's like red flag, top, top. Because like, A, the Explorer, or Explorer 1 for a lot of people, what they call it. But the Explorer is that entry Rolex, right? That sort yep. of base tool model. If you got too many of those, like those are usually the highest demand because they're among, and I use air quotes, among the cheapest of the Rolex family. You got too yep. many of those, that's a bad sign. Yep. Yeah, you're sitting on you're sitting on inventory, which means which means the desirability is dropping out, which means the inflated prices are dropping out, which means everything's starting to come down. And you are the second person that's told me that because I've reached out a lot to my contacts that are still in the industry, and they have told me that in their respective stores, their buyers, you know, because a lot of these places today to make money have pre-owned sections. Yeah, they can't carry Rolex, but they'll carry Rolex pre-owned. Right, um, that's a great way to make a lot of money. Makes sense. Especially because the business is, has been booming. You know, you can't get the, the stuff at retail. Why not sell it at a higher price when anyway? They are telling me that their buyers are offering less and less and less money for these watches. They are taking in less and less watches on trade. Yeah. And unless it's a very specific version of a watch that's a little bit more desirable, they don't want nothing to do with it. And the reason for that, like you said, anything that's ubiquitous, like an Explorer, like a Datejust, like these watches that are normal and easy to get, they're not, they don't want to take them anymore. They don't want to have them. They don't want to stock them because they're, they're not going to move them as quickly. And typically, if you're going to see anything move or that's going to get taken in on trade or whatever it might be, it's going to be something that's going to be a little bit more unique or special. Maybe have some factory work done, some gem sets, some you know, things that are unusual. Yeah. That will give that piece some more desirability. But here's the caveat. A lot of these normal gold pieces that you've seen, you know, a gold GMT Master, a gold sub, you know, these watches, a lot more retailers are not taking those watches in anymore. Because if the market does fall out, those watches have a very specific consumer base yeah okay if the market falls out recession hits us you know all these things happen people that that hood could have a discretionary income they could afford something like that are going to start saving it the same way that you and i would start saving it and those types of high dollar watches are going to lose out because those retailers will buy them in on inventory and then they can't move them so as a preemptive measure, I've heard from a lot of people in the industry right now that they are not taking those types of watches in on trade. They're not taking those watches in on, on, on consignment. They're not taking those watches in to, 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 to resell because they don't know when the bottom could fall out on this thing, if it does. I guess it makes perfect sense. I mean, I know I've heard people say that they've only been now offered trade in value. They're not even getting offered cash for their watch yeah. online. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because everyone's starting to see the writings on the wall. It's the same thing happened in 2008. All of a sudden, you could start picking up watches for, for next to nothing. And I have a collector friend who's been saying it for the last two years. That, for the last two years now, he's said, and he's told me many times, 
He's like, be patient, stock some cash. And he said, if, you know, something happens, there's going to be a course correction and everyone's going to be offloading their watches like crazy. And because they're all going to hit the market at the same time, the competition is going to be there across the board. So everyone's going to have to start lowering their prices here and there to be competitive yeah. to move these products out. And he said, you know, just be patient. And if you have the cash and you can do it, and you can afford it, then you could pick up some probably pretty insane stuff for, for really next to nothing at all. Yeah. And for me, I know I've spoken before about this and I've, I've described it as almost like the, the Hodinkee special. For me, I think I would first start looking at ubiquitous because I feel like those are the ones, as we just talked about, were, that are going to be in great supply. You're going to have the pick of the litter, plenty of conditions to choose from, plenty of different aging on the watch, dial variants, things like that. So I previously have mentioned the 36 millimeter Datejust or the Constellations from those same errors. I love both of them. And I think yeah. those are two watches I would go right after. I mean, even I've got that Great Isle uh, 1603. I know, I think I said four in the, the other episode, but it's a 1603 Great Isle. And I got it up right now, and there's one on here for 3650. Now, I haven't seen them that low in a long time, but if they yeah, hop down into that low. range, what I, what I was talking about them last time, where they, they go under threes, I'm going to be pretty tempted I mean, to hop on it. Because I'm pretty sure, when we, when, if, I'm, if I remember correctly, when we recorded that episode, they were close to 6,000, if I'm not mistaken. I think for a really nice example, yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, that's what I remember. You know, that upper fives, almost $6,000, you know, 5,800, 5,500, something like that. You know, that's the price point for a modern watch, like a modern luxury brand watch. Right, brand new. Right? <laughs> brand new, exactly. You doesn't, get an Omega Hot Potato for 5,700 US. I mean, that's a brand new watch. Yeah. Um, that would be a steal. That would be an amazing get at right around the $3,000 price point. So I'm, I'm definitely looking at both of those. And I, especially the constellation, because I, I love the sort of pink gold tone they used to come in. I've got yeah. such a, such a soft spot for those things. And uh, I will, I will be looking for those very, very hard. If, if the bottom falls out of this market. I mean, I, I, I can't, uh, I can't uh, disagree with you there. There's a lot of, vintage omega i would want to add to to my collection i'm not going to go through all of them because this list would be forever long but you know hell i'd love to own a plo prof yeah right i mean you talk about we i talked about one diver i mean i I'd, I'd, I'd take the second one too and you have I'd, to imagine that in a market where there are not too many buyers somebody trying to offload that would have to take a significant haircut on that yeah, I mean, I remember three years ago, I could I could buy a Ploprof, the titanium version for thirty eight hundred bucks. Sheesh, full box and papers, because nobody wanted to buy that watch. It was a commercial failure. It, it, that watch is, has been a commercial failure for Omega since the nineteen seventies, but it has such an iconic design. I don't think they can let themselves let it go. Well, that's the problem. Commercial failure, technical marvel, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And and now, I mean, when you think about it, it's technically irrelevant because that was Omega's, you know, kind of flagship diver. But now the ultra deeps, which are, are now just starting to hit the US, the, 
there's three times as capable. Yeah, and on 6, the other end, meters. On the other end, the 300 meter is like the second hottest diver to the Samariner. Absolutely. Absolutely. 100%. So it's kind of in a weird spot. And I think that, yeah, I mean, and, and you know, the, the, the kudos to the 300 meter because at least that watch you can get in different colors. Plenty of them. That's, and that's the other thing that still blows my mind. With as many subs as people try to sell and people try to buy, you can only get two of them in steel. You get the Starbucks or whatever the hell they're calling it now, and you get the black dial, you know, date, which is really the only way to do it unless you're going to, you know, try to get a no date. But I feel like these, like, you don't really have an option anymore. It's kind of the the way it goes. Like, hey, your sub came in. Oh, cool. Is it a no date? No, it's a date. Ah, oh, well, I guess I'm going to get that one. You know, like, I don't really feel like people have the option anymore. If you can do the pinky out thing, it's the sub yeah. and the sub date. <laughs> oh, the sub oh, okay. Um, but, you know, for me, if I was going to get something like that, hell, I can get a white dial, which looks amazing. I can get a gray blue dial and get a green dial, get a black dial, blue dial, which is the OG Bond version. They're all like, pretty good. They're all awesome. I mean, I, I flounder. You know, I've been telling myself I was going to buy a 300 meter for so many years. And, and I like you. I mean, I grew up in the in the Brosnan Bond era. Like, that yeah. was my Bond. Like, that you know, would be a fun watch to go after. Absolutely. Even even like the original. Yeah. You know, to get like a 90s era, you know, we'd have to we'd have to get our boy Lorenzo on and help him help us uh, have him help us source. Uh, some of the original ones, because that guy can find anything. Well, we'd be getting um, quartz models then, but even then, I, f- I feel like those would be like bargain basement, like flea market prices. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, you know, uh, even still, I mean, you know, he did transition to in the second film. He did transition to an to an automatic. It's an eleven. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's an eleven twenty caliber, which would have been, I think, tomorrow never dies if yes. I'm not mistaken. So it was Goldeneye, which was quartz, and I think they went to the eleven twenty, and tomorrow never dies. And then die and that's an automatic. Day. It's just not coaxial or anything else. Like yeah. stuff came all later when Daniel Craig took over. But you know, he did wear a, a mechanical version the rest of his tenure as as Bond. That's very interesting. Um, but yeah, Lorenzo has told me all the skinny about this on uh, on his podcast. And if you guys you know haven't listened to our stuff uh, cover Lorenzo uh, before, uh, go give him a listen. He he and a buddy of ours, um, Luke Taggart, run a run a James Bond theme podcast called Blunt Instruments. Um, it's a fantastic resource for all things Bond. And Lorenzo is a whiz when it comes to Bond watches. And he's so a trip. He's a funny dude. He's entertaining. So He knows everything. You know, I'd like to consider myself a pretty good you know, watch expert. Like Lorenzo knows the minutia of different fonts. And like, it's, it's crazy. He knows a lot. Yeah, he was and great. If you, you might have caught him in our uh, Connery sub conundrum episode, so if you yeah, haven't, go yeah, back yeah, and our Connery sub conundrum episode, absolutely. And uh, and I know that Lorenzo has also taken a lot of DMs and helped people find specific uh, James Bond Omegas and other watches and things like that. So, uh, to shout out to him, Lorenzo's a good dude, even though he's a brave man. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> um, so, on aside from that, I think everybody knows I would be. Hard in the hunt for Seiko's vintage, obviously. Oh yeah, but oh yeah. I mean, I there are so many models that I think have come to light over the past couple of years from people like our buddy Nick at DC Vintage and people like yeah, you know, all these different your Cole Pennington's and everybody. 
right? Your Willards, your Slimcase Willards, your Chronographs. There's so many vintage Seigos out there that are now like lust worthy. It's yeah, almost yeah, annoying yeah. because now they're hard to get. Like the Pogue is insanely expensive, but I think everybody would welcome price drops on that stuff. Like the, especially the Pogue. I know so many people were like, damn, I really should have got a Pogue when they were cheap. Like everybody. Yep. Even yep. though, like, they, like we've talked about. When they were, about, like, several hundred dollars and not, like, you know, a couple thousand dollars. Like you talked about, it's kind of, like, this hideous kind of gold yellow dial, Pepsi bezel. You're like, what is this thing? And then you're like, I want one. <laughs> yep. So it's so hard like that. But I think if those or any of those 6139, 6138 chronographs, any of those vintage chronos, the divers, even hey, some of those dress dress watches, the old King Seikos, the old Grand Seikos that are still pretty reasonably priced. Any of those nose dive, I'm all over that. Yeah. Well, and and you know the other the other added benefit of this, if it does happen, like I'll be able to finally buy some Seiko prospects for like the original, like the actual price point I want to pay for them. So something that's like 450 bucks, like give me give it to me for 200. You know, yeah, like I, like that's that's what I want. You know, like that's when that's when all of us got into this. You could pick up a, a, a tuna or you could pick up a monster or an SKX for just basically nothing. Yeah. And it had a lot to do with that. And you'd always see, you know, retail price 500, always. sale price 180. <laughs> you know, like it was like watching a, the, was it the the home shopping network when they, when they yeah, sell QVC. them in Victor? <laughs> yeah, QVC when they sell them in Victor. This watch retails for $1,500, but we're going to sell it to you for the low, low price of $64.95. And you're like, wait, what? Is and it's buy one, real? get one free. It's buy one, get one free, and you get a cool watch box that's yellow. <laughs> yeah, I'm in agreement <laughs> with you there. And I even had that written down was that uh, all of the range right now that retails around 900000 are yeah. all awesome. But, like, I also don't want to pay 900000 exactly, for Exactly, exactly. So those <laughs> took a huge hit, like those SPBs, like the 62 Moss re-edition type yeah. watches. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The newer Willards, things like that. I'm in. I I mean, it, again, that's and that's one of the things that I've kind of stayed away from collecting Seiko. I got some of the 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 newer reeditions, like when they came out with the with the new turtle, right? Yeah. The first couple generation of turtle. They had the new samurai that came out. I got one of those. You like, but then things started to start really coming out with newer movements and everything, which is fine. It's necessary. But the prices started getting a little bit inflated yep. for what I feel comfortable with spending for a Seiko that I know I'm not going to wear often enough. Right. So for me, you know, like you, I just want to return back to getting really quality pieces for a pretty decent amount of money and not feeling like you're going to spend or overextend yourself on something that's, you know, it's just a normal watch. There's nothing to, to write home about. Yeah. Um, anything else you were uh, you'd be looking at there? You know, I'd really like to. I'd really like to help my brother get a birthier Speedy. Ooh, that's nice. Um, which you know, it's not a watch for me per se, but uh, but he's been wanting a, a Speedmaster for a very long time, and and he's been looking for a birthier. So you know, the issues right now, he's just you know. He's got a lot of kids and he just he doesn't really have the resources to do something like that for himself. But if it was for me, I would uh I would see about helping him get something like that. That would be very cool. Yeah. I know I personally I think that would be a great 
time to maybe get into some either Breitling or Doxa that I've really been wanting to get into. Mm, yeah. Either one would do the trick. Even if I went back a little and I, I maybe even went with something like Walkman, which for people who don't know that was like yeah, a, yeah. It was an American company, eventually got bought out by Breitling, but they've got some cool old stuff. Like I don't know if you've ever seen like the old like regatta. It's like got like all the different colors on it and it's got like yep. the same hand as the uh like the flight master, the little plane hand. So much cool stuff in their back catalog. And and even with that, like I, I know I've spoken before about old Zodiacs and Anacars and things. I would be like very hard on eBay trying to post it. Yeah, trolling, but like also not trying to get robbed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, definitely uh a Doxer hey. Brightling. I've been meaning like brands I've been meaning to get into and I just have not. Yeah. And I think too, what would be so exciting about this time is it would almost be like a reset. Yeah. It would almost be like a reset because you would start to see the the market flood. You'd start to see all these things get listed. You'd already you start to see the, you know, people start to offload these pieces. But it would also be one of those things where people had to go out and find and research and discover this stuff on their own. Before somebody like a Hodinky, a Cole Pennington, uh, a blog to watch or whatever, you know, RJ from Fatello told you about them. You know, this was just a cool watch that you happen to stumble, stumble across against a drunken 3 a.m. Google search on eBay. Yeah, that is what I miss. And there's so many watch collectors today who have not had that experience yet. And it shows. But. It would be a reset. You'd start to see these watches make themselves available again. People start to lust over them and find truly have people find watches in the old school puritanical way, the purest way, which is through self-discovery. And I think that that would be amazing. I think that would be amazing. Yeah, and... I think you hit it on the head. I think I know back when I used to just scroll the forums looking for just exposure, just looking for different pictures of things. And then eventually you'd have to try to figure out once you got a good enough eye, you were like, wait, is that a limited edition? Is that a mod? Yeah. Is that like, is that somebody, did somebody play around with this or did this come stock? Like, you, you know, then you had to do some searching and try to see if this was a relevant model number. Like that was kind of part of the fun, like part of the chase. Yeah. And you sort of miss that now. Well, it's too easy because everyone tells you what to get. Yeah, there will be a ton of value proposition type articles coming out. Yes, I miss that. It was it was uh, when times were more pure. You know, everyone was in it for the actual hobby, not to not to make money off of it. And and in many ways, I I miss that. Yeah, like that's like I almost remember. I I can almost pinpoint when the UG pole router took off. Yeah, I remember I had never seen it until articles popped up kind of all at the same time. And then I was yeah. like, oh, this is a cool watch. And oh, now it's expensive. <laughs> yeah, because at one point in time, there was an article about how they were not expensive. And then yeah. all of a sudden, 20 articles come out and, you know, 300 people start flocking. And Google searches for pole routers are starting to trend. You know, <laughs> all yep. of a sudden, yep. prices go up, right? Like, it's uh, it's crazy. I mean, 
Heck, we just saw that happen with our little uh with the little Seiko five you're about to give away. Like yeah. the same thing happened. We covered it, a couple other blogs covered it, a couple of the pods covered it. They reference watches of uh, of, of espionage and boom, all of a sudden prices are going up. Yeah, people buying that thing left and right. So Yeah. Again, I mean, and how could you not? It's a cool watch. <laughs> hopefully. It, it is a cool watch, for sure. I can get that in somebody's hands who didn't want to spend that money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. Shout out to our future lucky listener who will have a new timepiece this year. Yes, yes. From Bro Dinky. One of many. One of many. One of many. All right, damn, I kind of gave away a lot of watches this year. You look, right. he did, man. Moon's watch. This. Moon's watch. Right, this watch, hopefully an almost. That's kind of decent. It's not bad. It's not. And a lot of money that's going to be donated to breast cancer awareness. Yeah, so hopefully I haven't annoyed anybody up the wall with any of it, but we're doing good. No, I think it's fantastic. Yeah. All right, then. Uh, anything left on your, uh, your laundry list? No, man. I mean... I... I would just be excited for the, for honestly, overarching, I'd just be excited for the return of a lot of stuff to the market. Make them available so that we could get them. And uh, and that that would be honestly what, I, what I'd be excited for. But the stuff that I covered, I, you know, a new Panerai, something esoteric like a Ploprof, Berther Speedy from my brother, I think those would be some pretty solid things I'd want to hunt for. But I'm excited to see what that future is going to be. Is this going to happen? Is it something that is going to happen for a little bit and then fall away and the prices are going to, you know, recorrect themselves and go back up again? Um, are we going to see more and more people fail, fade away from the uh, the watch industry? I don't know. What do you think? I really don't have an answer. I'm, you know, I, I hope it doesn't fall out completely, obviously. But I think if things took just a little, little correction, just gave people maybe some time to maybe reset, reallocate yeah. their collection a little bit. And then even if things kind of progress back up, at least you had your shot. It's not like, oh, I missed out forever, where you, you get these sob stories nowadays where people are like, you know, I really just wanted an Explorer and now I can never get one. And you're like, yep. damn. I've been saving for 10 years and I'm screwed. Yeah. It's horrible. Yeah. It's very so, heartbreaking. So, I, you know, I, I don't want anybody to lose their shirt, but I think – a small adjustment period could be a little bit of fun for uh, a hobby that's been a little bit hot and a little bit untouchable in recent couple, two, three years. Yeah, absolutely. It it it, it does need it. It does need it. Yeah. So with that, I think we could put a, an end to this episode of Risk Cheese Radio. Ladies and gents, thanks for hanging out. This was episode 44 of the Rich Cheese Radio podcast. As always, we appreciate you tagging along with both of us, listening to our ramblings, uh, and we'll catch you next week. Schmitty, be good, brother. Thanks a lot, guys. Take care. Peace.